When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, we're back this week on the heels of it last week, where it started out a little bit slow for us in terms of prospects and young players, but then got very busy over the weekend, highlighted by the debut of Keegan Aiken against the Nationals. Uh, but there are also some other stories to get to this week, including the injury to Austin Hayes, the return of Dylan Tate, and the emergence of a player who's actually not a prospect anymore, but still a young player as the Orioles try to rebuild that's been watched closely, reliever Tanner Scott, who continues an impressive start to the year. We're going to get to all of that in this week's show, but first we're going to start with Keegan Aiken, the first member of the Orioles to make his Major League debut this year. It came on Friday against the Nationals. Um, in relief of Tommy Malone, who struggled against the team that originally drafted him, um, Aiken came in. Pits three-plus innings. The first two innings were effective. He gave up a solo home run in the third, in his third inning of work to his Drupal Cabrera. Um, and then hit a wall there in the fourth inning that he attempted to pitch. Uh, Cody Carroll came in relief of him and allowed two inherited runners to score. So ultimately, the final line for Aiken in his debut, three innings pitched, two hits, three runs, three earned, one walk, one strikeout, and one home run. Um, working mainly off the fastball and slider with a couple of change-ups mixed in. Um, as we have seen with Aiken in his minor league career, fastball was generally riding in that 91 to 93 range. So there's a lot for that outing to dissect. I'll start with you, Nick. What were your impressions of Aiken in his debut? Yeah, I mean, I, just overall, I think watching Aiken come out, finally take that mountain in an Orioles uniform in a regular season game, only to have him sent back down was like, you know, being a kid and knowing on Friday after school you're going to go get ice cream with your parents and you get to the ice cream shop and that ice cream cone is in your hand and then you like drop it and it's gone. Um, and now you're just sad because it's it's gone. And that's like kicking aching. We don't know when we're going to see him again now. Uh, and at this rate, I don't know if we'll see him again uh, this year. But I think overall, um, you know, can Aiken work on some things? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about numerous times. What role is he going to fit best in? Is it a starter? Is it a reliever? Uh, is it a swing man? Um, and I think, although you can't really have any major takeaways from his outing, I did like how he attacked the righties inside. And even though he missed a few times, he would go right back to that to try to get the out. Uh, the slider did look really good against lefties. Got some swing and miss there. Um, you know, when you leave a 92-mile-an-hour fastball middle-middle against a big league hitter, it's going to be put to the stands, which is what I think it was as Drupal Cabrera that hit the home run off of him. Uh, that's going to happen, but that's what we've seen kind of with Keegan Aiken all throughout his minor league career, is that when that command's off, uh, it takes a little bit to get it back on. Uh, when it is off, he can have long nights. Um, you know, I, I think I've watched every single one of his starts for the last two years, and he looked uh, he looked like a, a really good I think the, the making of a really good Keegan Aiken last night. Um, you know, he's 
that command is something that's bothered him since his college days, and hopefully he, he works on that now that he's back in Bowie a little bit. But for his first outing, uh, after sitting in the bullpen for pretty much the whole week, I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, I think this is the perfect opportunity with you know John Means and you know John Means not probably pitching a whole lot this year. Going to take a while to stretch him out. You're talking about eight more starts for all these starting pitchers, and so I think piggybacking Aiken off uh, John Means and the Tommy Malone's away LeBlanc's, I think that would be perfect at this opportunity. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to see that right now. Uh, but, you know, it was exciting to watch him pitch for the first time. So we'll see we'll see if he gets another shot. First of all, that was a great analogy. Hopefully Michael Elias will take us back to the ice cream shop in a couple days and we'll get our dessert back. But, uh, no, it was exciting to see Aiken get in there. I'm, I think a lot of it was nerves i think he talked about how he was like he barely could remember what happened he was so amped up and i think part of making him sit in that bullpen and wait for his opportunity couldn't have helped to me if you're going to bring a guy up get him into a game as quick as possible just get that first appearance out of the way so he can really settle in and unfortunately that wasn't the case because the orioles keep winning and i got a credit hide he's going to his core guys while they have a chance to win so it was unfortunate that it took him that long to get in there but once he did i thought he looked pretty good uh, averaged 92 mile an hour on his fastball based off ba- uh, baseball savant. He got a lot of really good movement on that, so that's good to know. It's not just a straight fastball that people can center up. Uh, he was working mostly fastball, I want to say like 65% of the time. Slider looked okay. Thought the changeup looked pretty decent. Would like to see him throw it a bit more, but it's only one outing, three innings. Hard to really take much out of it. Hopefully he goes back down the buoy, continues to stretch his arm out, and he takes Wade LeBlanc's start in the rotation next time through. Yeah, I certainly hope this is not the last of Aiken uh, for this season because although, you know, I think the end line, if you look at the final line, it does kind of look like a mixed result. Um, and in that fourth, the inning where the Orioles tried to put him back out for what would have been his fourth inning had he been able to make it through, um, started out by hitting Carter Keyboom gives it to double to Jan Gomes, um, and then is pulled from the game before Cody Carroll comes in and gives up both inherited runs. Um, I liked what I saw from the velocity. Uh, he worked with the slider a little bit. As Bob said, I do want to see the change up more, but again, the only way you're going to get that change up experience, aside from whatever he does in Bowie, is to bring him back up to the major leagues at some point and find a role for him. I really think that if the Orioles, and we don't you know whether or not they're going to sustain the success um, for the rest of the summer is a separate topic, but I think what's clear, regardless of how you view that, the Orioles, those first five innings are going to be a challenge. Uh, they haven't quite found their five-man rotation yet, and I think that what they need to look at doing is either putting Aiken in the piggyback situation where he can come out of the bullpen, start with a clean inning as he did on Friday night, work hopefully work three or four innings an outing get to that point where you can stretch him out a little bit that next year the idea of putting him on the mound and having him go at least five innings every start isn't that far-fetched or you put him as a starter and then you have LeBlanc or Malone follow him uh, because I think the Orioles are going to find themselves in that really for the rest of the year trying to figure out how do we get through the first five six innings of each game without overtaxing a bullpen that has performed really well to this point. Uh, you don't want to see a guy like a Tanner Scott or someone else start struggling because they're working too many innings. So 
I hope we've not seen the last vacant, uh, but I think the Orioles have to figure out before they if they're going to bring him back up, how they're going to use him. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, just like the Ryan Mountcastle discussions we've had, you know, I trust what they're doing down in Bowie is going to make all these players better. But you know, Keegan Aiken's one of those guys that you know how much how much more development is left there with Keegan Aiken. It's it seems that he's at the point where it's kind of sink or swim right now. And he, you know, like we said, he did pretty well at his first outing. Um, with John Means, Tommy Malone, Wade LeBlanc, even Wojciechowski, uh, I know he seems like a guy who, if he could go eight innings, uh, he, he's going to want to. But I, he just, he, I don't think he has that stuff. He's not going to be able to do that for you. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of innings, and this would be a great opportunity. I feel like to have Keegan Aiken up there uh, pitching, and like you said, Zach, if you want to start him. And then have LeBlanc Malone or somebody else come after him, that's fine. Or move Keegan Aiken behind him. You know, even if you want to keep getting Aiken that clean inning, I, I agree. I, I like that. But also, you know, if you want to bring him behind John Means when John Means hits his wall in the fourth inning because he's still being stretched out. And suddenly you've got two runners on base and one out. Bring in Keegan Aiken and see what he can do. Uh, and see maybe next year, all right, you know, that, that slider really works against lefties. You know, that changeup is coming along. So maybe uh, you got something there as a long reliever. You know, I don't think that – I also don't think that, you know, that doesn't mean Aiken's a failed pitching prospect. I think that's still like a stigma that's around, uh, like Hunter Harvey. You know, these guys, just because you started your whole career and now we're moving you to the bullpen, it doesn't mean you failed as a pitching prospect. We just found where you can excel, and that could be where Aiken excels. I don't know. Yeah, and he's 25 years old right now. You're going to have him through his age 31, 32 season. I don't really see the point in playing too many games with a guy like him. In a perfect world, I'd like to see them bring Aiken and Dean Kramer up at the same time and like alternate every fifth day. One of them starts, the other one comes in. Maybe three or four innings each. Just set up a tag team between two prospects. Would give us something to get excited about, give them good experience, and I think they'd give us a better chance to win games than a guy like Wade LeBlanc starting every fifth game. Yeah, I think the Orioles at some point need to look at where they can fit Aiken and Kramer um, into their you know their selection of pitchers, whether it's out of the bullpen or in the rotation, because even if this team does continue to win, they're just going to have to find a way to really get the most out of their pitchers, because we saw this last week. Brandon Hyde did a really good job managing his way through that series in Philadelphia, but it got to be a point in the numbers game with the pitching staff. You're having a lot of high-scoring games. You have an extra innings game in there. Um, and then you come back, you essentially play with the suspended game that started on Friday, that was resumed on Friday, essentially three and a half games in four days um, to end the week. And I, overall, I thought Brandon Hyde did a good job getting through that, but it's going to show you that you're going to see – Probably more of that this year because you have to fit so many games into a tight schedule. You're going to have a numbers game with your pitching staff time and time again. And I think you have to figure out how do you fit Aiken and then Kramer at some point into those roles where you can count on them. If you need someone to make a spot start, if you need someone to come up and stay in the bullpen, or you need someone to stay in the rotation for a while. Yep, good points. Yeah, so um, Aiken, when we updated our top 30 prospects list, in July, ranked 14th. He had ranked higher on the list, but then moved down to account for the Orioles' 2020 draft class. Um, Dean Kramer ranked ninth on that list. He is currently working out in Bowie, has yet to make his debut, but hopefully we'll see that later this year. Uh, moving on now, Austin Hayes, who ranked seventh on that list that was published in July, uh, was placed on the DL on Saturday. 
with a fractured rib. So non-displaced rib fracture was a listed injury. Uh, most reports suggest that it's not believed to be too serious and that he should spend the minimum amount of time on the DL before being reactivated. Uh, the Orioles brought Cedric Mullins up from Bowie to take Hayes' spot on the roster, and he and Andrew Velasquez figure to split time in center field um, until Hayes returns. So, Bob, I'm going to start this off with you. What was your impression of Hayes before the injury, and are you concerned, because this is a prospect that has an extensive injury history, that this could lead to more trouble or that he could be out a while? Honestly, I'm not that concerned right now. It was came from getting hit by a pitch right in the ribs. You know, hard to avoid that. It's not like he did anything wrong to cause that. But I do believe that he might be back when the 10 days is up because he played, what, a couple, three or four games after he got hit and it happened. He re-aggravated it, I think, trying to make a play in the outfield. Um, I just I think it might be a silver lining to this where if it's not too serious and he just really needs a rest for a week or so and then he can come back, maybe it can really give him a fresh start on the season. He must be frustrated getting off to the start the way he has. Like we talked about before, he had some bad luck in the first week or so of the season. Then he seemed to start pressing, have not as much success as he would like. I was hoping that inside the park home run would really ignite something, and he did have a couple decent games after that. But maybe some time off will let him just relax, reset his brain, and come back uh, on a mission to prove the prospect that he is. Yeah, that's my exact same line of thinking there. Uh, I think that was just an unfortunate injury. You know, a lot of the injuries we've seen from him are just because he goes so hard on every single play. And so he, he's, he's got those battle wounds in his past, uh, but this just there's nothing you can do about it. He got hit in the ribs with a pitch, um, you know, playing hard, continued to aggravate it. You know, now he seems, like you said, he seems like he's going to be back soon. And I think if it's a week, if it's two weeks, uh, I don't know if they were able to like backdate the injury. I didn't look on that before we got on. But, um, you know, if he's back in a week or two, then you can use that week or two to just hit the reset button. Uh, you know, Put in the classroom work, I think, right now. Go ahead, look at the video. Uh, study what's going wrong. Study the pictures you got coming up. Use this as an opportunity to just reset and come out in the second half of the season strong. When he comes back, you're probably going to have about 30 games or so left. Uh, as, you know, The season's only got five or six weeks left. Um, if he can come back in those last 30 games and, and finish strong, then I think 2020 is, is a success in my opinion, uh, for Austin Hayes, mostly just because I personally wasn't sold on the idea of him being the everyday center fielder for the Orioles. Uh, but I think his play this year defensively changed my mind. So if he can come back healthy, finish strong, um, you know, it doesn't have to be those September numbers from last year, but if he can show improvements at the plate over these last 30 games, keep playing a hard defense, then call it success, move on. 2020 is just, it's, it's a year. I don't know what he'll say about 2020. So, um, yeah, I'm not worried about him at all, though. Not yet. Yeah, I want to see him make some strides as the plate when he gets back. It seemed like when you would watch Hayes on a game-to-game basis, you would see one game where he, you know, looked lost at the plate, swinging in too many pitches, chasing too many pitches out of the zone. Then the next night, he would be making hard contact, um, and sometimes would just encounter bad luck. But, Nick, you brought up an interesting point, which is that Hayes does really play an aggressive style of baseball. And that goes to the way he plays center field. You see him diving after balls, jumping into the wall. Um, and his approach to the plate, frankly, is aggressive. Do you think the Orioles need to kind of channel that aggression a little bit? 
Uh, I mean, I'm going to say no. Uh, since he's so young right now, I just feel like you know that might hurt him uh, maybe in the long run. I think defensively, yes. Uh, I think that was kind of the knock on Hayes coming up. When, when he was coming through the minor leagues and like Bowie, you know, you saw minor league teams really shift on him and he wasn't able to, to beat that shift because he was a pull heavy hitter. He really didn't send the ball the opposite way. So maybe again, like I said, using this as classroom time while he's injured. Uh, and this, you know, I think the idea of this being spring training 3.0 for the Orioles is out the window <laughs> now that we're fighting for a playoff spot. But he's still got some time to sit there and study a little bit now and then maybe use that opportunity to kind of ease back into this and start saying, all right, maybe we should rein this in just a little bit at the plate. Uh, keep going hard on the field, but maybe at the plate, let's try to switch some things up. And hopefully that happens. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I don't really have much to add. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I was happy to see the Orioles go ahead and make the move to drop him lower in the order. Um, not that I ne- not because I necessarily believe that's where Hayes is ultimately you know destined to be a six through nine hitter somewhere in that range, but I just thought that putting him in the leadoff spot might be too much too soon, and the first you know in his initial games in the leadoff spot it kind of seemed that way. I think with Hondra Alberto at the top of the order it's working a little bit better for the Orioles. So when Hayes does come back, I would be fine if the Orioles want to leave him as the number seven hitter for the rest of the year and focus on the areas he needs to develop, really his pitch recognition, not chase as many balls out of the strike zone, and try to make more hard contact, which he shows he can do at times. When he gets a hold of a pitch in the zone, he can make hard contact, but if he's chasing too many pitches out of the strike zone, we're not going to see enough of that. Yeah, and he just missed crushing a home run in Philadelphia that was, maybe it should have been a home run, right? They called it foul, so, um, yeah. yeah. So yes. moving on from Hayes, we did have another transaction took place earlier today. We're recording this show on Monday evening, by the way. Um, Dylan Tate was activated from the 10-day injured list with Evan Phillips sent to the Orioles' alternate training site. Uh, Tate has been injured for a few weeks now, did not start the season on what was initially a 30-man roster. But coming into 2020, Tate looked like a player the Orioles were going to turn to out of their bullpen. Um, a former first-round pick who has had his ups and downs over the course of his career, but at times flashes potential in that relief role, and someone that I know the three of us had kind of been on the lookout for to see if he could maybe thrive in a middle-to-late-inning relief spot this season. Um, Nick, with Tate back, what are you expecting from him uh, as he starts pitching again after recovering from the injury, and what do you think his role in the bullpen is going to be? I hope it's that middle relief role, kind of using him in low leverage situations right now, just getting him some innings, letting him ease back into this. Uh, He's another one of those guys who hasn't really had a lot of ramp-up time. Uh, It's been a long time since Dylan Tate's been in a meaningful game, and I know overall the numbers aren't from last year. His first season with the Orioles weren't that great, but I mean, when you really look into it, and I've talked about this before, I've written about this before on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, you know, as Eight of his 16 outings last year were scoreless outings of at least one inning. Uh, I I like that number. I like to see that. He did have a few. When he got roughed up, he did get roughed up. But, um, again, half of your outings are scoreless outings. Uh, I really like that. Your XFIP was nearly two runs lower than his ERA. Ground ball rate of almost 60%. Uh, you know, he was just converted to a reliever after he was injured in 2019 when he was with Bowie. 
So he didn't really have a lot of time. They moved him pretty quickly up through Norfolk and into the big leagues. Um, I also wrote about his changeup a couple weeks ago. I really like that pitch. He used it 20% of the time. Didn't allow a single base hit off of it last year. Uh, high whiff rate on the pitch. So you know, that's he's got bright spots. I like his stuff. Uh, I think it's going to take him some time, and, and I just hope that when he does get into game action and if he gets roughed up a bit, you know, I hope people don't turn on him instantly because I know with the Cody Carroll and you know, that instance and this whole trying to get value out of that Zach Britton trade seems to be kind of dead among a lot of Orioles fans. But I still think that we can hang our hats on Dylan Tate just a little bit. Um, Dylan Tate will never be Zach Britton, I don't think. But um, you know, he's got a little bit of, he's got some tools that we can like, that we can watch. And hopefully he settles in pretty quickly and gets a few outings this year. Yeah, I agree. Middle relief is where it should be. Like Nick said, give him some low leverage stuff. Let him get some confidence. It will be interesting to see how he prepared coming into the season knowing he's going to be a reliever. I wonder if he's done anything to make an adjustment in that way. But no matter how well he does, I'd rather watch Dylan Tate go out there and struggle than watch Evan Phillips throw a scoreless inning where he gave up a hit, four walks, and a hit batter. And, yeah, Phillips, he uh, got sent down. I know he had like some of the best slider movement of anyone in the major leagues this year, but clearly wasn't really doing him all that well. So, yeah, Dylan Tate, it's not as exciting as having Keegan Aiken come up or Hunter, Hunter Harvey. Jeez, Hunter Harvey come off the disabled list. But it'll be, it'll be nice to have a, a fresh young face out there in the bullpen. Yeah, I know Harvey is a reliever that Orioles fans are really waiting for to come back, and I think the expectation is there that when Harvey – does return he stands a chance to make that bullpen even better than it is but i'm intrigued by what we could see from tate um as nick said the numbers overall when you look at them across the board during his major league time last year 21 innings to a 6.43 era uh 5.17 fip he did strike out 20 batters in 21 innings uh allowed nine walks in there so again a mixed bag but this is a former first round pick who during his time as a reliever in the minor leagues has flashed some potential so I'm hoping that the Orioles are going to be patient with him Uh, give him some opportunities to get out there as both of you said in low leverage situations and see what he can do and hopefully you know by going an inning or two at a time with him the Orioles don't find themselves in a situation where Tate got stretched out too much doing mop out duty so now he has to go back down to Bowie for a few days so that we can get a fresh arm up um, hopefully Tate is given a fair chance this year and isn't on that shuffle too much between Bowie and Baltimore. Yeah, yep. let him stay in the bullpen. Get some, get some, get his licks in. If he if he gets beat up a little bit, so what? I mean, there's a lot of guys in the bullpen that I think should be sent down before a prospect like him. Yeah, I was I was looking up Evan Phillips real quick because I don't really have any opinion about Evan Phillips, <laughs> uh, honestly, but. That trade with the Atlanta Braves that he came over in uh, is looking like quite another one of these quite a deals. Uh, Evan Phillips came over with Brett Cumberland, catching prospect, who I don't think anyone believes he's going to be a catcher moving forward if he makes it past Bowie. J.C. Encarnacion uh, and Bruce Zimmerman for Kevin Gossman and Darren O'Day. Uh, and Darren O'Day is, of course, pitching phenomenally for the <laughs> Atlanta Braves at uh, the bullpen. Uh, and Kevin Gossman is throwing ninety nine dot ninety nine on the on the paint for the Giants. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, save oh, us, hey. Bruce Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Zimmerman might be the next John Means. So let's not give up hope yet. <laughs> yeah, that that could be a whole uh, separate show. Jake Arrieta, Dylan Bundy, 
and Kevin Gall has been broken down. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not going to do that to ourselves yet, though. We'll wait, we'll wait till like, October or November. We're really content starved. We'll just bring out all of the misery from past Orioles trades. Yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, <laughs> recap the Glenn Davis deal for everyone that uh, can't get enough of that one. <laughs> so, uh, on a lighter note than Glenn Davis... Um, the Orioles, three up, three down, written by our own Bob Phelan, is up on Baltimore Sports and Life, was posted earlier today. Um, Bob does this article weekly, definitely worth checking out. So uh, stay tuned to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com every Monday to see that story from Bob. Hop on a discussion board to weigh in with your thoughts. His three up this week are Anthony Santander, Pedro Severino, and Tanner Scott. The three down are Pat Valakia, Wade LeBlanc, and uh, Miguel Castro. So we're going to focus on Tanner Scott for this go-around, who continues his really promising 2020 season. Um, so, Bob, tell us what you wrote about Scott this week and how you feel about how he's pitched so far this year. Yeah, I actually also talked about uh, Tanner Scott on the Locked on Orioles podcast today as well. So it's it's Tanner Scott all day long. Uh, <laughs> I think Nick actually tweeted out how he improved his spin rate by like 300 RPMs from last year. And that seems to be, I think, a big part of his improvement this year because his ground ball rate is just ridiculous. I think it's 92.3%. That's insane. Uh, we said how, I can't remember who it was earlier, on uh, Aiken's not going to be the next Zach Britton, but maybe Tanner Scott could be if, he, if he's going to get ground balls at that rate. Uh, but he... The key to him is being able to throw his slider, I feel like, in any count and not be scared that he's going to walk a million batters because it seems like in the past he's he's always had the stuff, but he seems to get in his own head, especially in pressure-filled situations where he would start to nibble and start to aim. I think this year he's shown confidence in his fastball and his slider that he can just throw him. If he walks a guy, that's fine. We'll go get the next one. It just seemed like he has more confidence and it's showing, and I just hope he doesn't fall off a cliff. Yeah, R.I.P. Miguel Castro. Uh, <laughs> I'm not off the train yet, but Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think just overall with that, the three up, three down piece, uh, Pedro Severino, can you just take a moment to look at the Fangraphs war leaderboard among Major League Baseball catchers, and it is JT Realmuto, Pedro Severino, James McCant, and Chance Sisko. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but with Tanner Scott, yeah, you know, eight innings pitched, 11 strikeouts, only one earned run, two hits. Uh, the slider's got a 50% whiff rate. Bob mentioned the extreme ground ball rate, and obviously these are all very small sample sizes, but still. Uh, the fastball whiff rate's up from like 18% to about 25% now. His whip right now is 0 0.75. And, you know, one bad outing could send that up to 2.0, but it, after, he was a 1.79 whip last season and 1.57 the season before that. So to see Scott pitch like this is, is pretty awesome. Uh, numbers aside, he, he does look a lot more confident on the mound. Like, he's he's going up there and he's attacking guys head on with that slider. Uh, he's definitely not afraid. Um, I think something interesting, though, that I saw earlier in a Rockabaco article, though, he had a little line in there, just a quick jab where he mentioned that other teams are taking notice. Uh, and, you know, when you got bullpens falling apart across Major League Baseball, look at look at what we did to the Phillies bullpen. That's 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 a whole other story, the Phillies bullpen. But, you know, the Phillies aren't the only one. you got a lot of teams who are supposed to make deep playoff runs where their bullpens are, are a disaster right now. And 
could Tanner Scott be a guy that the Orioles ship off? Uh, you know, when I read that, I was kind of like, oh, I hate to see that. But at the same time, like, no one on this roster is untouchable. And so I want to see Scott find a home in this Orioles bullpen. It's been a lot of fun watching him pitch like this, finally click. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to be mad at ever at somebody trading a reliever if you can get a good return for him. So I think that's something to keep our eye on. It's certainly interesting. And Michael Givens is pitching pretty good too. So maybe uh, people want to pick from our bullpen coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, certainly teams are going to be needing a lot of depth in their bullpen. And Nick just mentioned one of the big ones, the Phillies, who – um, as the Orioles exposed last week and of other teams that have exposed before them, their bullpen um, kind of dragging them down a little bit. But going back to Tanner Scott, I agree with what Nick said. The mound presence this year for me has been a big difference from what I've seen in years past. He's working a lot better with the slider now. He's attacking the zone better, and he's doing well against lefties and righties. Yeah, It's not like you're looking at a guy that's going to be you know, heavy splits one way or the other. If that fastball and slider are working, you can pretty much get anybody out. Uh, it doesn't matter what side of the plate they're coming from. So the mound presence is better, the control of his slider is much better, and the control of his fastball is a lot better. I don't have that fear anymore when Tanner Scott takes a mound that a, a 450 home run, a hit-by-pitch, or a walk is coming. Now it's like it's going to be a strikeout or a ground ball. It's night and day, and it's been really impressive to see. It's literally only been a strikeout or a ground ball, I think, at this point, <laughs> other than those two hits. But, yeah, I, I love watching him finally just connect because you know, Orioles fans have put a lot of tears into Tanner Scott over the years. <laughs> We've invested a lot of time into him, and, you know, it's it's fun to watch guys like that finally make an impact. And not just, you know, it's fun to see, like, Pat Vileka had the walk-off hit and early success, although I think, you know, Pat Vileka is now coming back down to Pat Vileka uh, numbers. But, you know, seeing the new guys kind of these cast-offs find success is fun. But when you see, like, our guys, these homegrown guys finally find success like Scott is, that's what I think is making 2020 a little extra special. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see us trading him. I feel like it'd have to be a pretty decent haul, especially he's got a lot of control left. He's exciting. He's homegrown. I know Elias isn't nostalgic like me, but yeah, I remember thinking Tanner Scott is going to be our closer probably like six years ago. So it is nice to see him be successful. But uh, yeah, he he could go back to walking three batters uh, an outing. Who knows? So fingers crossed. Yeah, I just looked it up with Scott. He will be arbitration eligible for the first time after next season. Will not be eligible for free agency until after the 2024 season. So the Orioles do have a lot of time left um, with club control. So I think unless you get a really good offer between now and August 31st, where it's the kind of offer you look at and think, wow, we're adding a lot to our farm system for one reliever. Um I think the Orioles ultimately are going to hold on to him for that reason, just because there is so much control left. And anything he does in 2021 to build off of 2020 is only going to make his value even higher. And who knows, if the Orioles can somehow accelerate it that by 2022-2023 they're contending, then Tanner Scott is an exact Britain, without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. Although I will say, I think back two years ago now, uh, the San Diego Padres shipped off Brad Hand and Adam Simber and got Francisco Mejia, who was the top catching prospect in all of baseball at the time. Uh, he hasn't really panned out quite yet, but, uh, I mean, he's prob- a lot of 
he could be the starting catcher for the future for the Padres. And not saying the Orioles are going to get a return like that, but if you catch a team like Cleveland who is desperate enough to send off one of their top prospects for relievers, it's going to be hard to turn that down. But I do hope he sticks around and finds that role as a dominant closer or back late inning guy, at least. Yeah, left-handed setup guy yeah. to Honey Har- Hunter Harvey. Why can I say his name tonight? That's insane. <laughs> Harvey's uh, closer. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the trade between the Indians and the Padres, Nick, because thinking back on that deal, that's always kind of been the model in my mind that if the Orioles could find someone to pair Michael Givens with in a trade, that might be ideal for trading Givens because it hasn't seemed like you've gotten to that point where Givens' performance and the market, you know, Givens was, you know, trending upwards in performance and the market was short. You haven't quite seen that yet. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why he's still in Baltimore is the Orioles haven't been really impressed with what they're getting in trade offers. I'm just speculating there, but that's my sense. So that would be something that if you were pairing a Tanner Scott with Michael Givens or even a Miguel Castro, um, although he would probably be in lower demand right now, but that, that would be one case where I think the Orioles would have to really consider trading Scott is this one opportunity to pair him with another pitcher and get a lot in return. Let's pair Givens and Armstrong. Let's, let's get a, a somebody's top ten prospect. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, give us something. Give us uh, something else to talk about. Give us another uh, reason to go through our prospect list and move things around again. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we had need Mountcastle. Yeah, we're, that's we're right. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle Watts continues um, beyond this podcast. Mountcastle. Still not uh, in the major leagues. I will admit that when Hayes went on the DL and I saw Cedric Mullins was coming up, my knee-jerk reaction was, where's Mountcastle? And then it very quickly dawned on me that if you brought up Ryan Mountcastle, you would be without a center fielder because there's no way that you're putting Ryan Mountcastle, Dwight Smith Jr., or Anthony Santander in center field. Hey, didn't Santander get some time at center last year? Yeah, true. (laughs) I mean, I just love the way that Bat's going in right field right now. So. Would yeah, prefer to the, keep him over there. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I am interested to see what Andrew Velasquez can do in center field. He's impressed me a little bit with his defense. It's short. Clearly his bat has been up to snuff, but he had a great game when he started his first time in center field. I want to he's fast. Mullins is fast. I'd like to see how he does out there, given a little bit more everyday at bats. We know Mullins can field the ball. Doesn't have the best arm, but Still not impressed with his bat. It doesn't look like it's come back around, but we'll see. Uh, Velasquez is, I think, going to be a pretty solid under-the-radar pickup uh, for the Orioles here with these extra inning rule, and I like the way the Orioles are switching him in, bringing him in late in games. Uh, you know, if it's a close game, you can match it up. So, you know, you can replace Velasquez in uh, at the end of that game, and now all of a sudden he's the pinch runner, uh, start second base in extra innings, and we've already seen the, the guy can – practically steal home uh how fast he is so i think he might win you two or three games down the stretch who knows yeah it, it kind of brings me back to the you know the orioles last run of contention when they would steal like 12 bases in a year and still make the playoffs but it always seemed like they had someone like a david Lowe around who could give you that extra base um off the bench if he came in as a pinch runner late in the game and i feel like if nothing else velasquez could be that guy for the orioles this year yeah, for sure. So, um, 
We'll uh, be continuing to see what the Orioles do. Uh, big series begins Monday night with the Orioles and the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were a team that we were really high on coming into the season. They haven't quite gotten it going yet, but now they come in to face the Orioles, who continue to surprise everyone in the American League East. Um, this is going to be an interesting test. Um, and continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verds. Uh, check in on Baltimore Sports and Life. We'll have new content on the Orioles, Ravens, and more. Be sure to hop on the discussion board. Um, so before we sign off for the week, I'm going to start with you, Bob. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I guess I'll just plug my uh, spot on Locked On Orioles podcast one more time. Had a pretty good discussion today. A little bit evergreen. We recapped the National Series, but we talked about how the Orioles defense kind of broke down finally this past weekend. We talked a little about Anthony Santander, what uh, John Means coming back and his poor start on Sunday meant, and we got in a little more discussion on Tanner Scott. So I thought it was a good discussion. When you're done subscribing to and listening to our podcast, maybe give them a listen. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely a good show. Um, I think my final thought is I'm all in on the Shane Bieber, Dylan Bundy, Lance Lynn, Cy Young Award race. I think <laughs> everyone should tune into that. Uh, you know, Bieber is absolutely disgusting. It was much watch t- must-watch TV. Unfortunately, Dylan Bundy has joined the black hole that is the Angels that I don't think they've ever been on national TV, even with the greatest, one of the greatest athletes to ever grace this earth on their roster and Mike Trout. And, you know, the Rangers are the Rangers. They're kind of whatever. But uh, it's unfortunate that you got Dylan Bundy and Lance Lynn leading the way in the American League, and uh, no one knows. So watch those guys. It's fun. Orioles fans know. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, that's Orioles fans really know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Dylan Bundy goes over the Angels and is having so far the best season of his career, but the Angels just can't quite seem to get it going yet, despite Bundy's success and despite the fact that Mike Trout is still Mike Trout, um, still having a really good year. So, but that will be something to watch along with how the Orioles perform over the next few weeks. Here we're in about mid-August now. Um, the 60-game season, games starting to feel all the more important as we're now about a third of the way through the year. Hopefully over the coming weeks, we'll see the Orioles continue to make progress on the field, and we'll see some younger players, whether that's Ryan Mountcastle finally debuting, um, Austin Hayes returning from the injured list, and hopefully Keegan Aiken reappearing at some point in the next few weeks. Um, stay tuned. So for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this has been Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.